Thank you, Austin. Thank you so much for doing such a wonderful job. Thank you to Brother Brian and all of my brothers here who did a fine job leading us in our worship to God today. I'm going to my Bible right now to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Will you join me in Philippians 2 this morning? Philippians chapter 2. Here, as the Apostle Paul writes from a Roman jail cell to a church that he helped plant in the city of Philippi, he wants them to know some things about Jesus. In Philippians 2, and in verse number 6, he says, who although, when talking about Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have you ever found yourself having to, to take a closer look? You ever found yourself having to take a closer look at things before in your life? There have been numerous times in my life where I have found myself having to take a closer look. For example, whenever my family and I sit down to watch Avengers Endgame, one of my favorite superhero movies, I usually find myself pausing the fight scene at the end of the movie so I can take a closer look at all the different cameo appearances. Whenever my kids clean their rooms, I almost always have to take a closer look, especially at Faith's room, to make sure she hadn't just stuffed a bunch of toys under her bed or or in her closet. Whenever my wife and I made an offer on the house we now own, we took a bunch of closer looks at it to see if it was worthy of a 30-year investment. And don't even get me started on what I've been doing this year with the Bible reading. I mean, I don't know about you, but as I have been taking numerous closer looks at the book of Luke and the book of Acts, I have seen all kinds of things that I have failed to see before. And then think about this. Think about the coming of Jesus. Think about the birth of Jesus. Think about the birth of the very Son of God. Do you think that is something that is worthy of a closer look? You think that is something that is worthy of some re-examination and some re-evaluation where after reading what Paul says here in these verses, I believe it does. I believe it does. I believe there's clearly more going on with the birth of Jesus than what people usually give attention to, especially on this day. And so let's just go ahead this morning and address the elephant in the room right now. What's today? What is this day? Well, you and I both know what today is. You and I both know that in addition 
to being first and foremost the Lord's day. Today is also December 25th, right? Today is also a day when many people in our society celebrate the national holiday of Christmas. You see, for many people in our society and across the globe, Christmas involves celebrating the birth of Jesus. It involves talking about the birth of Jesus and rehearsing the birth of Jesus. And let's just be honest about it. For many of us who are Christians, for many of us who are members of the church of Christ, well, that makes us a little uncomfortable. That makes many of us a little uneasy and feel kind of weird and maybe even a little squeamish. I mean, we don't mind hearing sermons about the birth of Jesus and talking about the birth of Jesus in the month of July or in the month of August or September or even January or February, but, but, but not today. Not, not the month of, of December, not even around this time of the year. You ever met some folks who had that kind of mindset before? I have on many occasions. And so if you don't mind, let me just say a few things about that kind of mindset. First, let me say this. Let me say that it is true. It's true that in the Bible, we are never, ever told exactly when Jesus was born. Contrary to what many people believe, the Bible never says that he was born on December 25th or even in the month of December. In fact, the biblical evidence seems to indicate that he probably wasn't even born around this time of the year. The Bible never says anything about the specific day in which Jesus was born, and neither does it say anything about the holiday of Christmas. The Bible says nothing about Christmas. It doesn't command Christmas. It doesn't sanction Christmas as some holy day that God requires his people to observe. In fact, the only mandated and prescribed observance for Christians given in the Bible is what we just got done doing. It's the Lord's Supper. It's the fruit of the vine. It's the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine it is partaking of those things every first day of the week. It is celebrating the death of Jesus, not the birth of Jesus. The Bible is very clear about that all throughout the gospel. The Bible says nothing about the holiday of Christmas. But at the same time, let me also suggest that while there is no special holy day, or observance surrounding the birth of Jesus given to Christians in the Bible, the birth of Jesus is in the Bible. The birth of Jesus is actually a big part of the Bible. It takes up huge chunks of both the Gospels of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, which means as the people of God, we should never feel awkward or embarrassed or squeamish or even unscriptural to talk about it any time of the year, even this time of the year. In fact, since everybody else is talking about it, how about we be wise and a little bit prudent and timely and talk a little bit about it today as well. How about we revisit it and study it? How about we take a closer look at it 
by considering what the Apostle Paul says happened when Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago. You see, when you take a closer look at what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2 about the coming of Jesus into the world 2,000 years ago, one of the things you're going to see is according to the Apostle Paul, that involved a lot of humility. That involved a lot of humility on the part of Jesus. In fact, it involved the greatest act of humility in the history of the world. And so we're going back to Philippians chapter 2. And you can just park yourself in Philippians 2. We're not going to be going a whole bunch of different places today. I'm not going to take you all over the place. I'm just going to really take you right here to Philippians 2. And again, in verse number 6, when talking about Jesus, Paul says, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Notice how when talking about the coming of Jesus, and that's what Paul is talking about there, when talking about the coming of Jesus into the world 2,000 years ago, Paul doesn't focus here on what the vast majority of people in the world are focusing on today. In these verses, Paul doesn't focus on Bethlehem. He doesn't focus on the virgin birth. He doesn't focus on Jesus as a baby and being placed in a manger or being announced as coming into the world by heavenly beings. Instead, what Paul focuses on here is he focuses on the Lord's humility. He focuses on the Lord's sacrifices. He focuses on all the Lord gave up to be miraculously born of a virgin 2,000 years ago in the town of Bethlehem. According to the Apostle Paul, the Lord gave up a lot to do that. The Lord lowered himself to do that. He emptied himself to do that. He emptied himself of his position and his place near the perfect presence of the Father. He emptied himself of his equality with the Father to come into the world and live as a man. To actually take on flesh. To actually experience all of the challenges and the problems and the trials and the sufferings that are attached with being a human being. Jesus, the Son of God, he did that. He made that sacrifice. He left the glories of heaven to be born of a woman and live as a man. He allowed himself to be stripped of the immensely privileged position he was in next to the father in heaven to come into a sinful world and live among his creation. What person, what person in any high position will be willing to do such a thing? What person in any privileged position will be willing to do such a thing? I mean, do you think that any president will be willing to do such a thing? Do you think that any president would be willing to leave the White House without Secret Service and his presidential limo to come and, and spend a few days living with us common folks? You think any president would do that? Do you think Queen Elizabeth II did that kind of stuff? 
You think her, her son, who's the king now, you think he's going to do that kind of stuff? Do you think any king or prime minister or ruler in this world is willing to do those kinds of things? Of course not. Of course, people in, in high positions of privilege don't lower themselves by mingling with and being among the people who are subject to them. But that's not the way it was with Jesus. That's not the way it was with the very son of God, according to what the Apostle Paul says in these verses. When God, the father, determined to save the world through his son, Jesus, the son, humbly submitted to the father's will. He humbly gave up his position and his status and his place in the glories of heaven. He didn't he didn't argue with the father about the plan. He didn't argue with the father about the rights of his deity or about how it just would be so degrading and demeaning for me to, to lower myself a little lower than the angels and come into the world and mingle with my creation. He didn't grumble about the task or be bitter about the task or, or fight with the father and seek to hold on to his privileged position. Instead, what Jesus did is he gave up his position. He didn't argue about having to give up his position. In fact, when he came into the world, he didn't even seek position on the earth. He didn't come into the world and require the father to put him in a position where he was going to be served by others and attended to by others. He didn't require the father to bring him into the world as a king who lived in a big palace in the city of Jerusalem. Instead, what the Lord did was he completely humbled himself. He emptied himself. He lowered himself. He gave up his position and his status and all of the privileges that were attached with being God so he could be born of a virgin, live as a man, reveal the glory of God and save us from our sins. Through the perfect life that he lived. According to Paul, that's what's really going on. When you take a closer look at the coming of Jesus, the question, though, is, is how we sh how should we respond to that? What should we do? How should we live based on the awesome reality that Jesus Christ humbled himself in that way? We'll go back to the text and look at verse one. In Philippians chapter two and verse number one, Paul says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the same spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness. Or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude or mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Notice how we should respond to the amazing humility of Jesus when he came into this world 2,000 years ago by striving every single day. To be humble ourselves. By striving every single day to be like Jesus, by striving every day to be servants like Jesus and the kind of people who are willing to put the needs and the interest of others 
even before our own needs and interests. That's what Paul says to the Philippians in those verses. And I'm going to tell you something. That's something they needed to hear. They needed to hear that message. They needed to hear that message because if you go home and you read the book of Philippians very carefully, one of the things you're going to see is this church has some problems. This church has some problems. There was some disunity in this church. In fact, in chapter four, in verse number two, the apostle Paul calls out two sisters in that church who were fussing and fighting and arguing, and they were not behaving in humility and regard for one another. The church in Philippi needed to hear Paul's teaching about humility. They needed to hear that message. And you know who else needs, needs to hear that message? Me. And you. Living in a world that appears increasingly to be becoming more selfish and me-centered, and materialistic, and absorbed in status, and position, and how we are perceived by other people in the world, living in a world like that, we need to be reminded on the kind of people that God has called us to be. We especially need to be reminded on how God has called us to be like Jesus. God has called us to divorce from ourselves pride, and arrogance and selfishness and a mindset that's always focused on ourselves and what other people could be doing for us and what we think they should be doing for us and how we're going to leave the church if people start neglecting us. We need to be divorcing from ourselves those kinds of attitudes and those kind of thoughts, and we need to be like Jesus and focus on other people first. We need to be unselfish towards others. We need to be invested towards the welfare of others and understand that in the kingdom of God, God doesn't need people who are selfish. God doesn't need people who are self-centered and who strive for status and position and they always want praise and a pat on the back for everything that they do. God doesn't need people like that in his kingdom. Instead, what God needs are servants. God needs more servants. God needs servants like Jesus. He needs servant leaders like Jesus. He needs servant shepherds and servant teachers and preachers. He needs servants who are willing to get on their knees and get their hands dirty like Jesus did when he washed 24 dirty and disgusting feet in John 13. God needs people like that. God needs people who are willing to give attention, not just to the wealthy and educated and people with great status in the church, but also to the poor and the widow, like we talked about this morning, and the orphan and the young and the elderly and the dirty and the messy and the people who may have all kinds of problems and baggage in their lives. When we take a closer look at the coming of Jesus, we can't help but see humility. We can't help but see how Jesus humbled himself to come into this world and be born of a woman, 
But not only do we see humility when we take a closer look at the birth of Jesus, you know what else Paul says we see? We also see some hard things. We see some hard things. We see that Jesus came into this world to do the hard and difficult things that the Father demanded. When you go back to the text again, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8, please. When talking about Jesus, Paul says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Notice how this child, this child who was born of a virgin, in the city of Bethlehem, he, he had a hard life ahead of him. He had some hard things that he was going to have to do, I mean, in addition to being born under poor circumstances. In addition to being born of a poor teenage Jewish girl and being placed in a feeding trough for animals, Jesus, as Brother Brian said this morning, would also have his life sought after by the wicked King Herod. King Herod would try to kill him almost immediately after he was born, and he would also be raised in the small and insignificant town of Nazareth, and he would be doubted and mocked by his siblings. And when he turned 30 years old and he began his public ministry, he would be hated and rejected and mocked by the religious leaders of that day. People like the scribes, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would reject him and insult him and call him names and scheme and plot against him. And he would even be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He would also die at the hands of wicked men. In fact, Paul says that he wouldn't just die, but he would even die on a cross. I like how Paul says that he wouldn't just die, but he would even die on a cross. He would even die the worst death imaginable. He, he would even die through, through a process that wasn't intended to be humane. It wasn't intended to be quick and, and, and painless. Instead, it was intended to be brutal and cruel and inhumane and excruciating in every possible way. Paul says that God would just die when he came into the world, but he would experience, even experience death on a cross. And the question is, why? Why in the world would God go through that? Why in the world would God die? Why in the world would God die even on a cross? Well, there are a couple of reasons why God would even die on a cross. One reason why is because of great love. Because of great love for Sean Jeffries. And because of great love for Gary. And for Austin. And for Chad. And Veronica and Peggy and every person in this room and across the globe. Remember in John 15, 13, Jesus says, greater love have no one than this. That one do what? Lay down his life for his friends. John 3, 16, you know the verse. For God so loved the world, that's everybody, that he gave his only begotten son. 
Jesus was willing to go through this. He was willing to die even on a cross because he loves us that much. He wants to save us from our sins that much, but that's not the only reason why Jesus went through that. A second reason why is found back in verse number 8 again. Notice how in addition to having great love for us, Jesus also went to the cross because of his determination to be obedient. Do you see that? His determination to be obedient to the will of the Father. You see, Jesus didn't come into this world to live an easy life. He didn't come into this world to do easy things and to take the easy path. Instead, Jesus came into this world to do the hard things. To do the difficult things, to take the difficult path and put the will of the Father before anything else in his life. You see, experiencing death, even death on a cross, that wasn't easy for Jesus. That wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, if you remember, when the Lord was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying to his Father in Gethsemane, Mark tells us in Mark chapter 14 and verse number 33 that Jesus was in agony. He says that Jesus was distressed and he was deeply troubled. He was deeply grieved to the point of death. In fact, Luke tells us in Luke 22 and verse number 44 that the Lord was in such agony when he prayed to the Father that his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. Remember that? This was hard. This was very hard. And very difficult, but the question is, the question is, what about us? What, what about me? And what about you? Like Jesus, are we willing to do the hard things? Are we willing to do the hard things for God? For example, if we're currently having problems in our marriages right now, if we are currently having fusses and arguments and all kind of fights with our spouse, in our marriages right now, are we willing to do the hard thing and stay in our marriages? Are we willing to do the hard thing and work out our problems and be godly and ask for forgiveness and keep our vows? Or are we seeking to take the easy path and just get a divorce? Just sever the marriage. If we got a boss on our job right now who's just, man, this boss is on our case all the time. He's always being rude to us, ungodly to us, unpleasant with us. If we find ourselves in a situation like that, are we willing to be like Jesus and do the hard things, which includes still being a, still being a good worker and being honest and ethical and still doing right by our boss? Or are we looking for the easy way out and we're seeking to get revenge and retaliation? If someone's done us wrong, if someone has hurt us, scarred us deeply, tried to destroy us, tried to destroy our good name, are we willing to do the hard things for God and still be kind to that person? Are we willing to do the hard things and still pray for that person? Are we willing to do the hard things and avoid being bitter towards that person and envious towards that person and unforgiving towards that person? When they choose to repent. 
Are we willing to do those hard things for God? And what about this right here? What about what Jesus said and what may be the most neglected commandment in the Bible? I'm just going to take you to one other place besides Philippians, and it's Matthew 18. I believe you're familiar with this passage. Matthew 18, 15, when Jesus says, Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins, some of your translations say, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Am I want to do that, that hard verse for God? When somebody does me wrong, when someone sins against me, when I notice somebody who's in sin, am I willing to do the hard thing and go to that person and sit down with them in private face to face and urge them in love to repent? Or do I take the easy path? Do I just overlook it? Do I just ignore it? Do I just go to the elders and say, well, 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 you shepherds, you need to go handle that. That brother or sister's over there doing that. Do I talk to everybody in the church besides the person who's committed to sin? I submit that if we're not willing to do what Jesus says in this verse exactly the way he says to do it, then we're not striving to be like Jesus. We're not striving to be like the Lord. We're not striving to do the hard things that God demands. You see, when you take a closer look at the birth of Jesus based on Philippians 2, you're going to see Jesus doing hard things. And you're going to see him coming into the world to be humble while he did the hard things. But there's one more, one more thing we got to focus on from this text, and that is... That is exaltation. That is what we sang about just a few minutes ago, the fact that Jesus came into the world to be exalted. And I'm going back to Philippians one more time. And I'm noticing what Paul says in the text, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to consider it one more time, what the apostle said in verse number 9, where Paul says, after talking about how Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven, the spiritual beings in heaven, and on earth, that's everybody on the earth, even the atheists, even the agnostic. Even the Muslims, the Buddhists, and those under the earth, the people we talked about this morning in Bible class, those in the Hadean, the Hadean world right now. Those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue, every tongue, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice how while the vast majority of people in our world today focus on the exaltation of Jesus by angels and magi at his birth, Paul in this text focuses on the Lord being exalted after his death. He focuses on the Lord being exalted after his death on the cross. He says that in addition to coming into the world for the purpose of dying on the cross for the sins of the world, Jesus also came into this world to be exalted to be exalted by God. In fact, it would be through means of the cross that he would be exalted by God. It would be through means of the cross 
that he will be given a name that is above every name and made Lord over all and the king over a spiritual kingdom. I'm reminded of what the apostle Peter said. Do you remember what Peter said on the day of Pentecost as he Pentecost as he stood in front of all those Jews? Many of them were responsible for the death of Jesus. And after telling them that Jesus died, like we talked about this morning, Jesus died on the cross, but he was raised from the dead. And there were many people who saw him after his resurrection. In verse number 33, Peter told these people in Acts 2, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, that all the house of Israel know for certain. In other words, you can believe this with confidence that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you I have crucified. Notice how even though Jesus experienced a humiliating and excruciating death on the cross, Peter says he was exalted. He was exalted to the right hand of God. He has been exalted to a position of Lord and Christ because he was raised from the dead. Peter wanted his audience to understand that and acknowledge that on this day. And Paul says back in Philippians 2, there's going to come a day in which everybody's going to acknowledge this. There is coming a day in which everybody's going to confess this. There is coming a day where every knee is going to bow and everybody is going to confess the truth about Jesus, the Christ. Paul guarantees that in Philippians chapter 2. He guarantees that everybody, every atheist right now, every agnostic person, every Muslim, every Buddhist, every unfaithful Christian, everybody will acknowledge the kingship and the lordship of Jesus. The question is, have you done that? Have you done that right now in your life? Have you in your life confessed the mighty name of Jesus? Have you bowed before him? Have you submitted to him as the Lord? Or are you the kind of person who are, are like most people in the world today? Are you the kind of person like most people are at church today and all you want is the little baby Jesus? That's all you want. You just want the baby Jesus. You just want that Jesus in that manger. That Jesus who doesn't talk. That Jesus who doesn't walk. That Jesus who doesn't make any kind of demands in your life. Or are you the kind of person who wants Jesus the Lord or Jesus the baby? I submit that if you have not submitted fully to Jesus the Lord, then you will be wise to do so today. You will be wise to bow before the highly exalted son of God today and confess his glorious name and make him the Lord of your life because waiting to do so on the judgment day, it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. What I just want you to see is here in Philippians 2, Paul gives us a closer look. He gives us a closer look at the coming of Jesus. He shows us that the story of the coming of Jesus is one that involves great humility. 
and obedience and eventual exaltation of Jesus to the right hand of God. And maybe, just maybe there's somebody here this morning who says, I need to submit to Jesus the Lord. I need to surrender my life to him. I need to acknowledge him and confess him, repent of my sins and obey his commandment in Acts 2 and verse 38 to be baptized for the remission of my sins. Maybe there's someone here this morning who needs to do those things, who needs to submit to Jesus for the first time. Or maybe there's a Christian here this morning and you know you haven't been a, you haven't been a faithful Christian. You haven't been a Christian who's been living the kind of life that brings glory to Jesus. Maybe you need to repent and ask us as your spiritual family to pray with you and to pray for you. If there's anyone here this morning who needs to surrender themselves to the highly exalted Jesus the Christ, we're going to sing this song right now, Almost Persuaded. We're going to ask you to come to the front. Let's stand. Let's sing together.